I don't want to be a martyr. Nor I. I want to live. That is good. For believing what you do, we confer upon you a rare gift these days. A martyr's death. The cross commands you. The blood of the martyrs commands you. I wrote them down in my diary so that I wouldn't have to remember. Alright, we are back and we are still playing with the sound system. And by me, I mean me and the other voices in my head, which is always, you know, the fun part of all of this. So, we are going to have some fun though. Why? Because we're going to move past Nero. Nero was such a bad guy that we don't want to talk about Nero anymore, so we're going to talk about Domitian. <laughs> and if you're wondering, there's a, Domitian is described historically in the church as the, um, the Nero 2.0. He's a, he's a lovely guy. He was emperor from 81 to 96, part of the Roman history that the emperor, the, what's the, what's the phrase I'm looking for? The the throne, the emperorship, I don't even know what the word is right now, my brain doesn't want to find it, so I'm not going to look for it, was a series of assassinations and appointments and adoptions trying to make sense of this. So historically, there's a little bit of revisionism going on with Domitian right now. So I like that this is the compliment. You ready for it? He was a ruthless but efficient autocrat. Because that's how everybody wants to be described. Ruthless, efficient. I mean, what could possibly go wrong with that description? Ruthless, but efficient. He did have some religious drama. He revived the imperial cult, tried to draw connections between his family and the uh, and the Roman god Jupiter, which is really just the adoption and corruption of the old Greek god um, Zeus. Has a pretty good hit list. He's the guy who sends, well, it's his administration, is the guy who sends John to Patmos, where he will write the book of Revelation. It is apparently his administration that tried to boil John in oil. And again, that is my favorite near martyrdom in history. Of course, are there any other near martyrdoms in history? Yes, yes, there is. There's um, Paul being stoned and being left for dead and then getting up and walking back into town. That's my second favorite. So, But the number one is still John being boiled in oil and it not working. I, I still, to this day, I want to know how that went down. I want to know what that looked like to the crowd. Because you know they just had to be like freaking out beyond belief. Um, interesting note on the end of Domitian's persecution is that apparently it ended... Oh, I'm sorry, I, I missed a spot. Large numbers of Jews, by the way. He decided that he wanted to eliminate the descendants of David, you know, because that always ends well in human history. And pa as part of that roundup, apparently the grandsons of Jude, half-brother of Jesus, brother of James, apparently Jude's grandkids got rounded up in that little kerfuffle, rounding up the uh, descendants of David. And answered questions about who they were and whether or not they were descendants of David, and they said that they were, and what the Messiah would look like, and when would his coming be, and apparently that satisfied that, and they managed to prove that they were not overthrowing the government, but that they were farmers and could prove it by the, the calluses on their hands, that they were poor workers, and that they didn't pose any threat to the empire, so they were let go. And apparently that was kind of the ending of the Domitian persecution. Now, where we will slow down today 
is on our last member of our hit list today, which is Timothy. You know Timothy, traveling companion of Paul, met in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. We know that he was a faithful companion of Paul for many, many years, a true son in the faith, as Paul would describe him. We know, according to Hebrews 13, that he was at some point imprisoned and released. If you are like me and you hold to the Pauline homily theory of Hebrews, and which means that Hebrews is a sermon by Paul written down by Luke, then that would put Timothy being imprisoned and then released at some point more than likely in the early 60s, as that would be an appropriate dating time for the book of Hebrews. Timothy will later become the pastor at Ephesus. The 1 Timothy 1.3 encourages him to remain on at Ephesus. And apparently, since 1 Timothy is dated to the middle to late 60s AD, Timothy took that very, very seriously. Because according to church history and tradition, he stayed there until he died. And he dies in 97 96-97 AD, there is some debate on whether or not Domitian is the emperor then, or whether it is Nerva. So, you can debate that amongst yourselves. I don't really care. <clears throat> so, apparently Timothy parked it for 30-plus years in Ephesus. Now, this is uh, dual encouragement here. One, by the way Timothy dies, but two, by the way that Timothy lives. This is important, because what we get lost too often is... We focus on results way too much, way too much. I think it's safe to say that Timothy was probably decent at his job if he was trained by Paul and sent out and encouraged to remain places by Paul. You would think that that would mean Timothy is probably decent at what he does. That's important for the rest of this. Ephesus, famous for its idolatry and temple to Diana. Let that sink in for a second. Famous for its idolatry. Timothy, who was probably a better pastor than me and you and anybody else you can think of, was there for 30 plus years. Ephesus is still famous worldwide for its idolatry and its sin. That should tell you something. Does that mean Timothy's a failure? Absolutely not. It's a good lesson in the modern world. We don't proclaim Christ and make disciples just so that we can proclaim numbers. Do we want people to be saved? Yes. Do we want people to grow? Yes. Do we want more people in the church? Yes, of course. Nobody's arguing that. But if that's why you're doing it, then your why is broken. If you are not rendering service to God, then you will fail. If you are rendering service to God, no matter how things end, you cannot fail. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry about that. Now, with that said, Ephesus had a festival. Have fun with the history. They're celebrating something at this festival. I found three different Greek names for it. I'm not going to torture you with them. It's either a festival to Diana, a festival to Dionysus, or a festival to Persephone. Have fun with that one. Figure that out amongst yourselves. Pick one and decide that that is where you want to rest and that is what is going on. This festival was marked by costumes and masks and the typical pagan frivolity. So basically just rampant public sexual immorality, maybe a, a stabbing here and there depending on how drunk everybody got and what they felt like. So, uh, oh, I almost almost made a moral, 
a, mo a modern moral comparison, but I'm not. I'm not. Oh yes, I am. I'm going to do it. Basically, just imagine your your modern day pride parades in San Francisco. There, there you go. That'll that'll kind of cover it. Have fun with that. I mean, that's what was going on in Ephesus, which, by the way, is why we forever remind you that Ecclesiastes is always in effect, and there is nothing new under the sun. So apparently. According to the tradition and the history, this parade was marching its way down the street, and Timothy met it and said this, Men of Ephesus, do not be mad for idols, but acknowledge the one who truly is God. Now keep in mind, dude would have probably been in his 80s, maybe into his early 90s by this point. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to go tell those perverts that God is God, and whatever it is they're deciding to worship today is not. And the crowd, moved by the wisdom, compassion, and proclamation of this old man, repented of their sins. No, 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 no. That would be like Triumphant Tuesday or something, not Martyr Monday. So, unfortunately, the crowd hears this, goes, you know, how wild sex-crazed, murderous crowds go, and beats Timothy to death. They beat an elderly man to death because he had the audacity to say that they needed to worship God. When we talk about hostility, I don't think we process exactly how hostile history has been. And I don't think we understand how much the blessings of Western civilization have been present for us the last couple of centuries. This is what rank paganism looks like, and this is why I said I'm going to go on ahead and compare it to a modern-day pride festival and pride parade, because this is what the pagan heart left to its pagan desires does. It destroys and it corrupts, and the minute you find an old man who disagrees with you, you decide, you know what? He needs to die. That's broken. And yet Timothy proclaimed the gospel. And yet he administered in that place for three decades. Christian, we labor unto the Lord for the glory of the Lord, and we proclaim truth because it is truth that has set us free. We do not do it so that they will love us. We do not do it so that they will respect us. And, they, and we do not do it so that they will even tolerate, it, tolerate us. We do it because God has commanded. He is Savior and Lord, and he will judge all sin. And we do not wish that judgment upon any. Therefore we proclaim because it is who God is and what he has called us to do. Until we meet again, read your Bible. It'll do you good.